Applied Neuro Microtech Podcast, the project of four college students united through friendship and a shared passion for investigating today's most innovative biotechnological advancements from diverse perspectives. I'm Aman, a sophomore at UC Berkeley, planning to major in molecular and cell biology with an interest in neurobiology. I'm Shravan, a freshman at UC Berkeley, planning to major in molecular and cellular biology with research interests in neuroscience and neurosurgery. I'm Deshaun, a freshman at UCLA, majoring in computer science and linguistics, with interest in the growing field of AI and machine learning. I'm Aster, a freshman at Northwestern University, double majoring in economics and mathematics, with interests in both the qualitative and quantitative sides of business and finance. This is our first episode, and we will be discussing the revolutionary SmartCube technology developed by Psychogenics and how it led to the discovery of promising drug candidates for treating neuropsychiatric disorders. But firstly, it would be remiss to not introduce ourselves and our new podcast a little bit more. We went to the same high school in the San Francisco Bay Area, and despite having different backgrounds and aspirations, and now attending three different top universities across the United States, we all recognize the importance of staying up to date with the most recent changes in our scientifically and technologically sophisticated world. Thank you, and welcome again to the Applied Neuromicrotech Podcast. We hope you enjoy our first episode and our many more to come. Before we begin today's episode, I just wanted to say the views expressed in this episode and future episodes are solely based on our personal opinions and speculation. The discussions regarding legal matters are not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Uh, first of all, what is SmartCube technology and what got you interested in talking about it? To explain in simple terms, SmartCube is basically an arena for mice with four glass walls and a space in the middle, in addition to a combination of software with machine learning and deep learning algorithms. Mice can be put into a space in the middle, and these mice are then recorded by cameras. The video data is processed by machine learning algorithms provided by Psychogenics. Although SmartCube is a patented technology, Psychogenics seems to be very tight-mouthed about it maybe because they don't want it to be open source, perhaps. However, in my speculation, I'm guessing that ML algorithms are analyzing the behavior in the following way. First, the ML algorithms could possibly be first labeling and identifying the body parts on mice from head to tail throughout the video. Next, the ML algorithms could also divide the behavior of the mice into separate syllables, i.e. different behaviors like grooming, turning left, turning right, standing upright, running around, you get the idea. Uh, how did you first discover and then become interested in this technology? Is it a part of your research at Berkeley, or did you just stumble across it at a conference or even just reading online? I was interested in this technology. As my research at UC Berkeley uses a similar model of recording mice data, even though it's definitely not psychogenics. The lab I'm in uses a similar arena-based technology for recording data from mice. However, the difference comes in the ML algorithms they use, which are deep lab cut and key point mosaic both of which are open source algorithms. They use this technology to analyze mice behavior. Is this technology proprietary? And is it being used in, in, in industry or research? 
This technology is definitely proprietary, meaning that it is protected by copyrights. In addition, it is being used in the biotech industry for research purposes. Cool. While we're on the topic of proprietary technology, I just want to talk about how Apple was actually recently sued by Macmo, a medical technology company based out of Irvine, California, for the, for the infringement of their patent on the blood oxygen monitor sensor on the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2. Very interesting. Do you know what came of this dispute? And is this the first time such an event has occurred with Apple or any other tech company? So this is not the first time this has happened with Apple or any other tech company. And this specific instance is actually kind of messy. So back in October of 2023, the U.S. International Trade Convention, also known as the ITC, ruled that the Apple Watch Series 9 and Ultra 2 infringed upon Maximus' patent and banned Apple from selling and importing these watches inside the United States. Oh, wow. Good thing I don't dabble much with Apple and use an Android instead. Uh-huh, yeah. And then Massimo also claimed that Apple poached his engineers, which basically means that Apple came up to Massimo's engineers and induced them to work for Apple, Sir Massimo. Um, this is because Massimo did not cooperate with uh, Apple and did not want um, to work with Apple in regarding this blood oxygen sensor. Uh, isn't it actually quite common for companies to poach employees and engineers in the tech industry? And is that legal? Yeah, I would say it's very common for this practice. And yes, it's legal if it's done correctly. And it's even more common than we think. Uh, for example, um, this relatively new phone company called the Nothing Phone, which was actually founded by Carl Pei, the co-founder of OnePlus, aggressively poaches OnePlus employees. So much to the point that 70% of Nothing's software team and 30% of their hardware team is made up solely of former OnePlus employees. Oh, well, that is insane. Uh, is there any way companies can prevent this from happening? Because I imagine this won't be good profit-wise in the long term for the company. Yeah, definitely. This won't be good for the long run in the for the company. So some things that companies do to prevent this from happening is that they sometimes enter into no poaching agreements with their competitors, which basically means that a company can attempt to recruit employees from their competitor. However, if this is done incorrectly, it can lead to serious violations of antitrust laws. Now that you mentioned antitrust laws, it reminds me of the airline industry and how the merger of JetBlue and Spirit Airlines was shot down by a U.S. judge for violations of antitrust laws. And when we mean shot down, we don't mean physically, just to make that clear. Oh yeah, and back to the point of antitrust laws. Uh, I remember actually reading a, about that a couple of days ago, but that's a story for another episode. So anyways, back to this poaching agreement. So in order to play it safe and avoid any legal complications, companies use non-compete agreements instead of these non-poaching agreements. Um, these NCCs are basically between the employer and the employee rather than between two competing employees. The NCCs basically state that an employee must wait a certain duration of time before joining a competitor, and they can open their own business after ending their current employment. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, there was a $415 million lawsuit filed against Apple, Google, and Adobe in September 2015 for their anti-poaching rules. Emails were leaked between Steve Jobs, the late co-founder of Apple, and Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google and Alphabet of how they entered agreements not to hire employees and former employees of each other's companies. Oh, there you have it. Um, you can see how, um, if this is not done correctly, it can lead to severe violations of antitrust laws 
a major legal complication. I imagine this, despite this legal issue, the big tech companies still have these agreements in place. Yes, I would say it's safe to assume that such companies such as Apple, Samsung, Meta, Amazon, and Intel have some sort of secret agreements in place. Obviously, we won't know sure what the specifications are because they don't want to get into any other further legal issues. Gotcha. So anyways, now coming back to the whole Massimo and Apple story, we have now the ITC banning the Apple Watch Series 9 and Apple Watch Ultra 2. And obviously, Apple's not very um, happy about this, so they appealed the decision immediately, claiming that they, they solicited it with multiple parties and not just um, Massimo. And um, that Massimo wasn't even, in fact, in too much into the consumer market. So we have this story going on over here. And Apple is now forced to stop sales of their two most, um, let's say, popular watches in the U.S. And this is during peak holiday time when people are buying gifts for their loved ones. You, you can know that Apple was obviously not happy at all. Right what about, about right the about Apple watches that were already sold previously? Were they recalled? No. In, in fact, the watches sold previously to this dispute were not affected at all. And they still retain the blood oxygen measurement sensors. And additionally, this ban only applies to Apple itself. In other companies that carry this watch, such as Costco or Walmart, don't are not affected, and they can continue to sell whatever they have in stock. Gotcha. Then on December 27, 2023, the U.S. Court of Appeals granted a stay on the import ban, which then basically allowed Apple to continue to sell the watches during the dispute, and then providing the ITC uh, until January 10th of 2024 to file its response to the stay. And then finally, on January 12, 2024, Massimo reported, keyword Massimo is reporting, and no one else, that Apple has come up with sufficient modifications to their watches, which essentially means that they just disabled the blood oxygen sensor. So if like a user now goes check checks the blood oxygen on their Apple Watch, it will just say this feature is not available. And um, the ITC lifted the import ban, and these modified Apple Watches went on sale starting January 8th, 18th of 2024. So now that Apple is selling these modified watches, are they still moving forward with the legal dispute with Massimo? Yes, Apple's legal battle with Massimo is still ongoing, and the stay on the import ban on the watches with the blood oxygen sensor has been being extended. Apple claims that Massimo is using the ITC to keep a potentially life-saving product for millions of U.S. consumers while making way for their own watch that copies Apple which I find very ironic in the sense that Apple hasn't been doing this for many years. So is Russell planning on launching their own smartwatch now, or what is the case? Yeah, Massimo has actually planned on, has already launched one of their own smartwatches in the previous years. It was not much of a success because it's very health centric and it didn't appeal to the masses who were just looking for like a smartwatch with basic um, health tracking sensors. Um, so now what they're, they're trying a new idea with um, a more smartwatch heavy focus with still very crucial health centric um, features. Um, and it's going to, this watch is set to launch at a whopping $999. And it's going to have world-class health tracking features like I just mentioned, obviously including the blood oxygen technology that they have a patent to. And I must say that this watch is definitely a niche product. That was really nicely explained, Jashan. Pivoting back to SmartCube, however, what are the practical applications of SmartCube in real life? So SmartCube has been used for the company Synovian Pharmaceuticals to discover effective proprietary compounds for psychiatric disorders. 
In this case, they work to discover a psychotropic agent to target schizophrenia, called Old Tarant. The main specialty behind this drug is that it has a unique non-D2 receptor mechanism of action. This is important since generally drugs targeting this segment of biological disorders go for the D2 receptor to initiate change in the brain. Interesting. Could you elaborate on that? What's the D2 receptor? What is its role in psychiatric disorders? Also, has this smart cube technology gone into clinical trials on humans? So the D2 receptor, it's one of the five types of dopamine receptors, which are D1, D3, D4, D5, and D2 as well. These receptors are expressed in the striatum, external globus pallidus, core of the nucleus accumbens, hippocampus, amygdala, and cerebral cortex. The D2 receptor is encoded by the DRD2 gene located on chromosome 11. D2 receptors play a crucial role in signaling for the survival of human dopamine neurons. They are coupled to G inhibitory sites, which inhibit adenyl cyclase and activate potassium channels. The two isoforms of these, and these receptors are autoreceptors, so they regulate neurotransmission by feedback mechanisms, so that affects the synthesis, storage, and release of dopamine into the synaptic cleft. In the context of psychiatric disorders, the D2 receptor has been implicated in several conditions. Specifically, the DRD2 gene has been associated with schizophrenia, PTSD, movement disorders, and migraines. In schizophrenia, the D2 receptor is a major target for most antipsychotic drugs. On a side note, the drug that SmartCube discovered definitely did go into clinical trials. Since a four-week double-blinded placebo-controlled phase two clinical study of Altan took place with 245 patients, and the results turned out to be extremely promising in the phase two stage. There was a significant clinical improvement in patients in these four weeks, and the next six months that followed with continued improvement for all symptoms, positive, negative, depressive, and otherwise. The safety profile of the drug was similar to the placebo. So, how, so tell me, Sharon, how exactly is this result significant, and how does it benefit uh, psychogenic? Yeah, so the positive results of the study show that psychogenics is an extremely effective tool in preclinical mice experimentation in terms of identifying the best drug candidates to be used on humans. This shows that the drug the technology picked seems to have benefited rather than harmed the patients who've taken it. In mice speculation, further implications for psychogenics can be seen in the field of personalized medicine since treatments in areas like gene editing and immunotherapy targeting neurological and neurodegenerative disorders could be identified and tested on humanized mice beforehand as a safety measure to see the efficacy of the drug and how it alters behavior. I also wanted to add how this technology also has, has implications in brain cancers as thousands of brain cancer chemotherapy drugs could be tested directly on mice to see which one's the best for humans. This shows the promising aspects of the psychogenics technology smart cube. That is definitely amazing for psychogenics and a great invention, actually. I like how you guys put it into importance, as that shows the potential it can have in revolutionizing healthcare. To transition somewhat, Aster, I know you've been interested in healthcare as a business industry for some time now. And didn't you do an internship at a VC firm in Silicon Valley some time ago, where a major portion of your work was in evaluating biotech startups? Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, healthcare is just such an interesting sector to investigate from a business perspective, both because of its diversity, you can be successful with a tiny team, but I'm sure we all know of some multinational corporations that are perhaps a little too profitable due to the questionable system we have here in the U.S. Uh, that being said, uh, it's an industry that requires careful analysis for sure. One anecdote that I will actually tell now is from my time in my high school's investment club. We were annually involved in a competition called the stock market game. 
And a thing I always said to new members was that if you want to lose half of your money by week two, make risky trades on small, small biotechnology companies that you know nothing about. Such really is the importance of information and knowledge. And we're obviously no investment podcast, but analytical methodologies and patterns, in my opinion, are best gained through experience from examples. Of course, we're not affiliated with psychogenics. And moreover, I'm trying to pitch it when we have no idea if they're even looking for funding. But what do you think, Aster, of their business model and products, SmartCube? Sounds very fascinating. But do they have any other interesting ones? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, there are some business concepts that apply to the analysis of really any company, any company in any industry or sector. And one of these is bundling. So essentially, when similar products can be obtained from multiple firms or sources, the firm or source that also offers complementary products, that is ones that augment or enhance, naturally go with, etc., complementary products to the original product, those firms will have an inherent advantage since it's more convenient to obtain a whole package of goods and or services from that single provider. In this case, uh, Psychogenics not only has SmartCube, but also three other somewhat more specialized, quote unquote, that's what they call them, cubes, that similarly track mouse behavior with proprietary artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms. And these are NeuroCube, PhenoCube, and eCube. So Shravan earlier mentioned that his lab is currently using open source alternatives to SmartCube that might be similarly efficient, but this suite of products that Psychogenics have has is a great competitive advantage. Another really important business concept that might be a little more familiar to some of our listeners less specialized in economics or business is the economic moat. Does this apply to SmartCube or Psychogenics as a whole, Astra? And can you explain and elaborate a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, throughout history, but, and especially, but especially in the Middle Ages, and this will be the amateur historian time me speaking for just a short while, um, moats, which are pits, often thought of as being filled with water, but more commonly with nothing, since a deep enough moat doesn't need to be filled to be effective, though spikes or even sewage are popular choices. But I, I digress. Uh, moats were often built around castles to protect them from siege by opposing armies. Well, an economic moat, which is something that entrenches a firm's market position in some longer-term way, protects a firm from its competitors. Though a typical example is strong branding, where consumers keep buying a product that might not be objectively superior, but that is better advertised and publicized. So here, um, we don't really have a, um, well, there might be a slight marketing effect, but I think the primary thing is the immense amount of proprietary technology in SmartCube and Psychogenics other products. And these include advanced modeling and algorithms, as well as they have a lot of chemical libraries, which aid in the analysis. This makes it difficult for alternatives, whether open sourced or privately developed, to reach the same level of effectiveness. Uh, in other words, there is like there is a um there's a high barrier to entry, essentially. Although that being said, we don't know how much of their technology is patented, as well as when and more importantly, where. Uh, as a business, when you're able to, it's incredibly important to secure exclusive rights through patenting as many governmental and geographic jurisdictions as available, though I'm sure Psychogenics also does know this. I'm wondering what are the macro effects of this new technology. From the 1970s till this decade, we've been living in what some refer to as the great stagnation and seen a dearth of innovation outside the ICT sector, information and communications technology for a brief period. This idea can be best summed up in a quote by Peter Thiel. We wanted flying cars, instead we got 140 characters. <laughs> uh, I've heard of that one too. 
And now it seems we're finally exiting this great stagnation with numerous promising innovations, which we'll be discussing from AI to mRNA vaccines to the smart cube. How do you think the smart cube will impact the labor market? Do you think, could you see it boosting the participation of those who'd been outside of, out of the labor force because of neuropsychiatric disorders? What are the biggest barriers to this technology being utilized on a widespread basis? What can be done to speed it up? How are other companies responding to new ideas to the news about this technology? What calculations are incumbent drug firms making? Regarding the healthcare system, would you think this technology may actually reduce costs by helping to identify the best candidate drugs more efficiently? Yeah, that's like, that is definitely a lot of questions. So I'll definitely get, I'll get down to them like one by one. I'll start with the question you asked last first. So basically this technology will reduce costs in the long run as it'll only be testing the correct drug candidate on humans and also on humanized mice in clinical trials due to AI analyzing over 2,000 drug signatures to get there. But in the short term, the cost will be steep, both for the research labs and for biotech companies all over the world. Currently, many of the incumbent drug development firms are actually exiting the psychotic drug industry due to the many external biological variables that come in both with drug testing and drug reception by humans. This is because psychotic drugs target behavior not something objective like a gene or a protein or even an mRNA perhaps. Also, psychotic diseases and disorders in general are influenced by many factors, such as by environmental factors or even by epigenetic factors, which are out of our control. So far, the smart cube has been relatively new, but partnerships with psychogenics are becoming an increasing trend. As mentioned earlier, there is Synovian Pharmaceuticals, but in terms of the schizophrenia space, psychogenics has made partnerships with Corona Pharmaceuticals for the past few years and for the following few years in order to test drugs with regards to psychotic disorders as well, including specializing in schizophrenia. The biggest barriers to this technology being used on a widespread level are A, the cost, and B, the fact that its algorithms are not open source. To speed this up, psychogenics could be more open in terms of their algorithms and reduce their costs so that more biotech companies and research labs in colleges and otherwise can afford their technology. Lastly, since Psychogenics has opened up a new division in their company called In Vivo AI Platforms and their psychotic drug testing agenda, the number of jobs present in the market are bound to increase in the areas of factory production, algorithm development, drug testing, partnerships, fund fundraising, suppliers, so on and so forth. Therefore, my guess would be that Psychogenics is also playing in a role in reducing unemployment rates in the recession that we're in, both in the tech field and otherwise. Uh, all good perspectives. Uh, I'd like to conclude just by mentioning also the impact of government funding in these projects, especially when it comes to quote unquote orphan diseases. Not enough of the population have to incentivize totally free markets to address. Well, that wraps up our very first episode. Thank you so much for listening, and especially to those who didn't skip forward and who, those who skipped all the way till the end. For most of us, it's our very first time ever producing a podcast, so we would appreciate any comments, suggestions, feedback you have, anything at all. Feel free to leave them in the comments below or email us at appliedneuromicrotech at gmail.com or, or on any of our streaming and social media platforms.
Also, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, whether you are listening on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. We are on all those platforms. We upload bi-weekly episodes so that when you're subscribed, you never miss an upload. Until then, take it easy.